Genesis 12. Genesis 12, if you want to make your way, we looked at... So we've looked at Adam, we've looked at Eve, uh, and tonight we are on Abraham. Abraham. So we looked at Adam, we looked at Eve, we looked at Noah, and tonight we're going to look at Abraham. So Abraham, though, covers a large portion of Genesis. You will find Abraham listed, whether it's Abram or Abraham, you'll see him listed all the way from Genesis 11, all the way through Genesis 25. So really, chapter 12 through 25 are the kind of comprise the majority of, I mean, it's all focused on him and all about Abram or Abraham. So as we've said these last couple, several times, we look at these different characters. We're going to ask three questions. Um, who were they? Why do we know them? And what lessons do they teach us? So looking at these character studies, um, just trying to not necessarily um, cover the biographical stuff, but also asking ourselves a question about what can we learn by that life, that example, that model, and why is that person in the Bible? So let's start with Abraham um, or Abram, however you want to say it. Both are the same guy, just in different seasons of life. So I'm just going to use Abraham because that's the one I'm most familiar with. So when it comes to Abraham, who was he? Not why do we know him, just give me some ideas like who was he? Okay. He's a Bedouin. Alright, he was a Bedouin. Alright. What was his dad's name? Tara. Tara. Alright, we see that in chapter 11 and verse 31. Alright. Did he have a wife? Sarah. Sarah, right? Or Sarah. We see that in 11.29. And was there some type of special connection besides being husband and wife between him and Sarah? They were half brother and sister. Remember that? They were half brother and sister, so they were twice related um, as a husband or a husband and a wife. All right, so he's the son of Terah. He's the husband of Sarah. Where does the Bible first talk about him living? Ur, Ur, Ur of the Chaldees. Now, where is that? Over there. Over there. Over there. Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia. Okay. So for for a season, um, John and I were stationed at this place called Camp Cedar Two, and at Camp Cedar Two, off on the horizon, you could see the ruins and even some of the burial sites of the Ur. And so that area was called Ur of the Chaldeans. And so there for a season, um, from our tent, you could look over there and you could see the archaeological digs and you could see the remnants of what at one time was Ur of the Chaldeans. So now that is southern Iraq. So over there, and that, that get a little more closer geographically, we're talking about southern Iraq. So when we're first introduced to Abraham, there in Genesis chapter 11, when it's talking about Shem's descendants, and then you get down to verse 27 of chapter 11, it talks about Terah's descendants, where he's talking about, he's talking about them living in um, southern Iraq. Then what, then it talks about a moving, where they moved to. This is verse 31 of chapter 11. It says, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Does anybody know where that's at? 
West of Juarez. West of Juarez, okay. Northwest of Juarez, technically. <laughs> so if you look on a map, all right, and I'm not a very good map, and I understand that, but if you got southern Iraq, that's down here. So you just imagine I'm, I'm the Middle East area, okay, and you got southern Iraq. Well, in order to go to Canaan, they would have to go north, northwest, all right, over here to the land of Canaan, which is the nowadays modern Jordan, Israel, Syria, that along the Mediterranean Sea. All right. So instead of going north northwest, they actually went more northerly and actually ended up in southern Turkey, what is now modern day Turkey. And so they went up. And a lot of times in that time, they would follow the rivers or they would follow the the fertile valleys, if you will. So you can look at maps and you can see where that area of fertility um, agricultural. So they went up, and instead of going more this direction, they went more of that direction, and they end up in southern Turkey. And so. So when it talks about who was he, he's the son of Terah, the husband of Sarai, lived in Iraq, lived in Turkey. But then it also tells us in chapter 11 that he is from the lineage of Shem. Now why would we know the name Shem? He was one of Noah's sons, right? And he was the son that the lineage was then being recorded down through. So you go all the way back to Adam. Adam had how many sons recorded in Scripture? Three, but not all three of them carried the lineage or the name, the genealogy. And so in that instance, Seth carried the genealogy. Here in Noah's time, Shem carried the genealogy. In fact, you get one of those maps like I had over here last week, and you will see it on that circle, and you will see it on that map. You'll see how those genealogical... No, that doesn't sound right. Whatever. The, the, ancestry, the ancestry, how you can, you can mark that. And so we know that Abraham was nine generations from Shem. And you're like, why does that really matter? Because in the whole grand scheme of things, he was not that far after the flood when we think about the life of Noah. In fact, if you were to go and you were to add it up and you start there in chapter 11 and verse 10, and I tried to, I, I tried to do it the best I could to add up approximately how many years after the ark do we have Abraham come Coming on the scene, it's about 360-ish years removed. Now you may say, well, that seems like a really long time. Well, when you're talking about five or six thousand years of history, that's not that relative, that's not that short amount of time, especially when you had people prior flood living 950, 960, 970 years. 350 years is just getting out of teenage years, right? I mean, that, that's just getting kind of getting started, right? Just getting the house break going. And so it's one of those things that so Noah, or I'm sorry, Abraham came not that far um, after Noah and the flood came from the line of um, through the lineage of Shem and then a couple other things who was the oldest son born to Abraham Ishmael that's right so you'll see in chapter 16 and verse 4 and verse 16 that you'll see where Ishmael was born and we'll get to more of that here in a little while then the second son of Abraham his name was Isaac okay so that's chapter 21 verse 2 and 3 did he have any other children beside that do what I think you're getting a couple mixed up, Mr. Allen. So did he have, so it talks about Abraham had Ishmael, and it talks about him had Isaac, and then after Isaac you had Jacob and Esau, and then you had Jacob had the 12 tribes. So did Abraham have any more children besides just Ishmael and Isaac? I don't think so. Okay. 
So, so turn to chapter 25. Turn to chapter 25. Now this is what I think is kind of weird. <clears throat> kind of weird, okay? And we're, and we're, and we're going to dive into it a little bit more um, in a few moments. But how old was Abraham when he had Isaac? Anybody remember? He was 100. He was 100, okay? So he had, he had Ishmael through Hagar. And then he had Isaac through his wife Sarah, okay? And then Sarah lived for a little while longer. Isaac grew up. And then Sarah dies, okay? And we don't, I don't know if it tells us exactly what year it was in Abraham's life when she died. But it says in chapter 25 and verse 1, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. And she bore him Zimron, Jokshan, Medon, Midian, Ishmael. Six more children. So here you are, Abraham, okay? Here you are, Abraham, and you have lived for 100 years. Well, 86 when he had Ishmael, 100 years when he had Isaac, and God had kept him barren all that time. And then maybe if I had more time, I could probably figure out exactly how many years it was after Isaac before Sarah died, and then he married this other woman. But let's just use a sanctified imagination. We know that it says in verse 7 of chapter 25 that he lived to be 175 years old. So somewhere in that 100 to 175, Sarah died, he remarries, has more six more kids. So let's just ballpark it and say Sarah dies at 125, he remarries at 130, and 130 years old, he's having six more kids. Well, Sarah was barren except for Isaac. That was sort of a miracle. It was. That's right. My thought was, is can you imagine being Abraham's second wife? <laughs> and here your husband is 130 years old. And now, I mean, it doesn't tell us how old she was. It doesn't tell us how old Keturah was. So we, we have no idea. Really can't speculate. But can you imagine being 130 years old and having a newborn baby? <laughs> Some of you all that are 50 can't imagine having a newborn baby at the age of 50. I just think what an amazing thing it would be. And the idea that Abraham's sitting here at 100 and he has Isaac and he's like, you would think maybe if you're Abraham, you're just like, good. I got what God had promised. I'm done. And Abraham's like, oh no, oh no. I've got more kids. I've got more kids left in me. And I thought that is just... You'd have to imagine that they aged a little differently than we do now. I think we think that to not get the yuck factor. <laughs> That's what I think. I think the only reason we do that is because it's the, the thought of being 130 years old and having a newborn. <laughs> See? I'm just, I just, that's how sometimes my brain works. All right, so when we think about Abram, there's a lot of things. We know who his daddy was. We know who his wife was. We know about some children that he had. We know about his his, his ancestry when it comes to Shem. We know about how many, about kind of where we, we can place him as far as timeline, about where he's at in the whole lineage of the Old Testament. So we think about who he was. Now let's think for a second, and we're going to, this is going to really start to focus in on chapter 12 of Genesis. Think about why do we know him? So we know like the facts. If somebody's going to write an obituary of Abraham, and we're going to name all the facts, and we're going to give all the that data. Now why do we, in the church today, why do we know him? Because he was obedient. 
He was obedient to God. That's right. And that's what you see in chapter 12 and verse 1. You see where God called him. It said, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So right there you see where God calls him, and we don't have any explanation about why God called him. If you go back to the idea of Noah, it tells us that everyone else was corrupt except for Noah and his family, right? So it's like if God is going to call somebody and God's like, I need somebody to build me a boat and put a bunch of animals in. He's looking around and he's like, you know what? There's not a whole lot of pickings, right? There's not a whole lot of people that are available because everybody else is a corrupt except for this guy, his three kids, his wife, and his three daughter-in-law. So that kind of singled out Noah, okay? Kind of the same thing when you get to the book of Job where all of a sudden Satan comes into the presence of God and God says, where have you been, Satan? And Satan said, I've been wandering back and forth through the world. And, and God looks at Satan and says, have you considered my servant Job? Well, Job kind of stuck out because of his integrity, because of his character, and because of his relationship with God. We have no indication here in chapter 12 why Abraham or Abram stuck out to God. But for whatever reason, he did. And here in the text in chapter 12 and verse 1, the reason why we know Abram is because God knew Abram. God called him and then God said, I am going to use you. In verse 1, 2, and 3, he says, not only do I want you to do what I want you to do, but then... In exchange for your obedience, verse 2, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So we know him because God knew him and because God used him. Are there other things that we know Abram, Abraham for? Father Abraham. Have many sons? I am one of them. <laughs> and so are you. <laughs> okay. He lied about his wife. He lied about his wife. That's right. So how many times did he lied about his wife? Twice that we know of. Twice. That's right. <laughs> that, that we know of. So one of the other things that I think sometimes, you know, you get in Sunday school class and you talk about Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. So we talk about that stuff and we always talk about the high points. But at the same time, some of the reasons why we know about Abraham is because of his humanity. So God calls Abraham in chapter 12. And I think it's interesting how fast some of this stuff goes. He calls Abraham in chapter 12 and says, Abraham, I want you to go do something. And Abraham's like, yes, sir, reporting for duty. So Abraham leaves here in Haran where he's at. And he travels southwest down to the Canaan land. And God said, I'm going to send you down here. So there, here he goes. And he gets down into what is modern day Israel. But he gets down there. And it says in chapter 12 and verse 10, but there was a famine in the land. So as Abraham goes down there, he's got Sarah. His wife, he's got Lot, he's got his old household, all of his servants that are with him. And they go, and instead of stopping where God said stop, he's like, no, there's not any food down here. So he kept going down into Egypt. And then when he gets down into Egypt, Pharaoh's like, you know what? That woman Sarah, she's pretty, she's kind of hot. I'd like to have her from my wife. So then Pharaoh takes her, and it's God that then comes to Pharaoh and says, that's his wife, leave her alone. At the end of chapter 12, verse 20, and Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So he goes down there, and he gets found out that, hey, I lied. I said she was my sister. She's actually my wife. And so part of what we know about Abraham is because of his humanity. The things he did wrong. 
I think sometimes we always highlight the good points. And that's what I've said before about one of my big hang-ups with social media. is because when you get on social media, everybody's posting their highlights. The majority of it is, let me just tell you all the awesome things about you, about me. And all you see is everybody's awesomeness. And then you're looking at yourself and going, I don't have that much awesomeness. And then you start feeling bad about yourself because everybody seems to have more awesomeness than you do. And when you can then choose what you project on social media, it's always going to be a skewed picture. So when it comes to Abraham, there's reasons why we know him besides just God using him. We know him because of Egypt and because of what he did for Pharaoh. And then you get into chapter 16 and it says in chapter 16 and verse 16, Abraham was 86 years old when Agar bore Ishmael to Abraham. Now that deserves a little backstory because... How old was Abraham when God called him? How old? Anybody know? Anybody know? Chapter 12, verse 4. Abraham was 75 years old. So 75 years old, God told Abraham, Abraham, I want you to leave and I'm going to send you to a place. And when you get to that place, I'm going to make you a great nation. So that's 75. Now 86. How many years has that been? 11. 11. All right. So now it's been 11 years and no son. Nothing. Now, Abraham starts to get a little antsy. Sarah, they started getting a little antsy. God said it. Well, maybe we misheard God. So at some point in there, Sarah comes with this idea, hey, my servant Hagar, I'm going to give her to him and as a wife, but then if she has a child, I will claim the child as mine. And so therefore he, by technicality, has now fathered a child, and we can use that child as the promised child of God. Tracking? You follow my, are you following the train of thought there? Alright? So, that's what happens. Alright? Chapter 16. What was the big problem with that? God hadn't told them to do that. And, and you know, sometimes, sometimes, I can't say you, because I don't want to put something on you that's not fair. But sometimes I do that. I start thinking I need to help God out. And, and God says do something. And I get there and I get a little tired of waiting. I get a little tired of just kind of being patient. And then I start trying to dabble. I start trying to play God. I start trying to fix it. Because I'm like, well, God's just a little bit behind. God busy. Maybe he forgot this. Maybe he's not catching up on this. And so I think that I'm going to help God out. And I end up doing something that God did not tell me to do. Now, what's the problem if I'm doing stuff that God did not tell me to do? I'm not doing what God is telling me to do. (laughs) That's the problem. And whenever you're doing something that God is telling you not, that God has not told you to do, you've got to be careful because you are now out of the will of God. And that never ends well when you and I continually put ourselves outside of the will of God. So Abraham and Hagar and Sarah, even though the three of them may have had, may have had the best of intentions going into it, because God said, God did, because God had not told them to do that, because they had decided they were going to do it on their own, then the downstream effect was you had Sarah, Matt Hagar, Sarah banishing Hagar and Ishmael, 
And that whole thing being disjointed and being a big pot of drama soup. And now you have Ishmael that is now separated from his biological father, kind of banished from his mother. And it wasn't like he just went down the street to the next town. No, he is banished. He is gone. And there's places in Scripture where it talks about her just being out in the wilderness by herself. Now, do you know what happened then to the line of Ishmael? Muslim, right? Now, Muhammad started the Islam religion, but the Arab people are all trace their descendants back through Ishmael. In fact, at one point, God tells them Isaac is going to be that lineage that's going to come down to the Jews. Ishmael is going to be the lineage that's come down to the Arabs, and they're always going to be battling against one another. So when you turn on your television, and Iran says that their whole sole mission is to destroy the Jewish people, They've been saying that for thousands of years. And where does that all go back to? That all goes back to Sarah, Hagar, and Abraham. That all is a downstream effect of people saying, we are going to do it our way, not God's way. Now you and I may sit here and go, well, that's that's just, that's blown way out of proportion. No, that's just called you let bad ideas go on long enough, and this is the downstream effect of bad choices. So you have Sarah and Hagar. That's one of the reasons why we know Abraham. So when you turn on your television and you see the Arabs and they're fighting against the Jews, you can just say, thank you, Abraham. Because it all goes back to Abraham. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what Sarah's idea, it doesn't matter what Hagar's idea was, who did God tell what he was going to do? Abraham, right? So Abraham can't blame it on Sarah. He can't blame it on Hagar. Abraham is responsible for Abraham's actions. But from the actions of Abraham, all of these things came down. Alright? So, we have the story about Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. That's one of the reasons why we know about Abraham. Another reason why we know about Abraham has to do with Sodom, Gomorrah, and Lot. And who is Lot? His nephew. His nephew. Alright? Now, why was Sodom, why was Lot in Sodom? Because they were too big. That's right. They were too big. Their, their different herdsmen were fighting. So Abraham goes a lot and says, hey, we need to separate. Gave him the choices, the choices of the territory. Lot looks out and says, this is much better. I'm going to move north of Wellston because it's got a whole lot better ground north of Wellston. And so Abraham moves south of Wellston, right? I shouldn't have said it like that because now north of Wellston is Sodom. No, no, back that up. So Middleothian, let's say Lot went to Middleothian. Alright? So he went down there. Okay, but me it's the idea. And so now you've got Lot that's in Sodom. Now what was the problem with Sodom? It didn't have a Walmart. <laughs> it didn't have a Walmart. Okay, what'd you say, Levita? It was evil. It was evil, right? It was godless. Alright? And when you have godless people living in a godless community and a godless civilization, when you have godlessness, then you will have the effect of godlessness. So it wasn't just homosexuality, it was immorality, and it was pagan worship, and it was idolatry, and all those things that then come from a godless society. So why does it matter today when we see the effects of godless societies right here in Oklahoma? Because the downstream effect of godless living 
is godless actions. And godless actions will always be in rebellion and opposition to God. So you get Lot, he's down there and he's surrounded by godlessness. And did Lot, did he get them all saved? No. In fact, quite the opposite. They had an effect on him. Remember the two angels come down there and they say, you need to get out of here. You need to get your wife. You need to get your daughters. You need to get your son-in-laws to be. You need to get out of here. And while they're down there, you have the men of Sodom come to the house and say, we want you to send out the two men so that we might know them. And this is chapter 19 and verse 5. It says, bring them out to us that we might know them. Now, most Bible people will say that is a is a euphemism. Is that the right terminology? It was a euphemism. It wasn't they want to come out and shake their hand, you know, and just say, hey, where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to high school? You know, kind of what's your vocation? It was they wanted to know them in the same sense the Bible talks about. Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and had a child. <laughs> So this idea that it was so wicked, two angels end up pulling Lot out even when he was not ready. God destroys Sodom. That's chapter 19. The wife looks behind. That's chapter 19 and verse 26. She turns into a pillar of salt. So Abraham, uh, so now Lot then goes up with his two daughters up in the hills. And this is chapter 19. And they find themselves in a cave. and, And Lot is up there with his two daughters. And does anybody know what happens in the cave? More knowing, right? (laughs) More knowing, okay? So they get up there. The two daughters are like, we've got to have somebody perpetuate the seed. So the older daughter got dad drunk, slept with dad, became pregnant by dad. This is Lot. The next night, the second daughter got dad drunk, slept with dad, and got impregnated by dad. Now here's where my, my imagination just goes nuts. So if you're Lot... And this is where confession is good for the soul, but bad for the reputation. I can't, back in a previous life, I could not tell you a time that I got drunk the night before and I didn't know it the next day. And the reason I say that is because, so you got Lot that first night, okay? And the daughter's coming coming and bringing her wine. I don't know where they got all this from, okay? But all of a sudden she's bringing him wine, he's drinking wine. And the next thing you know, he's in a drunken stupor enough that he doesn't even realize when the oldest daughter comes in and lies with him and when she leaves. So you're Lot, you wake up the next day. You know that at least you had too much to drink, right? <laughs> I mean, at least you know that. And you know that particular vessel and that particular fluid made me sleep like I don't normally sleep, right? I mean, there's, there's some type of recognition. So when the second night rolls around and here comes the next, the next daughter and says, Dad, I want you to drink this. Is it because he's just that dumb? Or is it because he's just that ignorant? I have so many questions that none of you can answer. And I know none of you can answer. But I got so many questions when I get to heaven like I'd really like to know what's going on here did Lot do it intentionally did he know what he's doing how does Lot sit there the second night and play the ignorant play the innocent card yuck (laughs) yuck but the Bible tells you from chapter 19 uh, verse 37 
The firstborn bore a son, called his name Moab. He's the father of the Moabites. The younger also born a son. And um, the last part of verse 38, he is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Now why does that matter? When you get later on in the book of Exodus, and as the people of Israel are coming out of the bond of Egypt on their way to the promised land, there are two particular nations that they end up doing battle with on a continual basis, and that's the Moabites and the Ammonites. So not only do you have the Arabs, the line of Ishmael, and the, line, and the Jews, the line of Isaac. Now they're in constant conflict even to this day. But then in biblical times, you saw with the people of Israel, the line of descendants, the, the descendants of Isaac, how they had continual opposition in the Old Testament with the Moabites and the Ammonites, when really you had Abraham, Lot, Isaac, Moabites and Ammonites. So they're all connected in one form or another, but you see where... Once again, you get out of the will of God and the downstream effect is normally negative. So that's chapter 18, chapter 19, and then chapter 20. There's another thing that we see out of the life of Abraham. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. You think, dude, you already did this with Pharaoh, and now here you go again, and now you're saying again, and God's already told you, and you haven't learned your lesson yet, and what is he doing? Now he's talking to Abimelech, and he says, she's my sister. And there's this whole thing in chapter 20 where Abimelech catches him in the line, and he confronts him about it, and that's where Abraham tries to, well, you know, I was afraid you were going to hurt me. I was afraid you were going to kill me. And that's one of those things I look at that, okay, so Abraham, you were scared that Abimelech was going to kill you and take Sarah, so what you ended up doing was letting him take Sarah to be his wife. What does that say about his protection for Sarah? Yuck. I mean, just... So you go down to Egypt, Pharaoh comes and takes your wife and takes your wife to his house and you're just like, well, at least he didn't kill me. And then now you fast forward and now it's been... uh, well, 75 went down to Pharaoh, so let's just put him at 80, and now he's almost 100, so it's been close to 20 years, right? Been close to 20 years, and now he's sitting there with Abimelech, and he does the same thing. And you can just imagine Sarah, when Abimelech sends for her, here comes Abimelech's servants, and they're like, uh, Mr. Abraham, we were sent to get your sister to take him to uh, be Abimelech's wife. And you can just imagine Sarah looking at Abraham and going, again, really? <laughs> May I... You're doing this again to me? I mean, you're really? I mean, 25 years, you haven't figured this out? I mean, again? Are you right? Yep, again. So in chapter 20, all over again, Abimelech takes Sarah. God intervenes. Abimelech confronts Abraham. And you think, sometimes we don't learn the lesson the first time, do we? Sometimes it takes two or three times. Sometimes it takes five or six times. Sometimes it takes nine or ten times. Abraham's a good reminder about the highs and lows that sometimes can come with life. I feel like I'm doing everything that God wants me to do, then all of a sudden I feel like I'm down here and I can't do anything right. Sometimes I feel like everything's going my way, and then sometimes I feel like I'm in quicksand, and every time I move I just keep deeper and deeper and deeper. Sometimes I feel like I'm close to God, and I feel like I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do, and I feel like this is just awesome. 
And then it seemed like whether it's a matter of hours or a matter of days or a matter of events or circumstances, you find yourself distant and dry and distraught. Those ups and downs. And sometimes, sometimes Satan tries to get you and I to think that we're the only ones that go through those ups and downs and that we are terrible. We are terrible people for having those ups and downs. And I'm not saying those ups and downs are good, but what I'm saying is is you're not the first one, you're not the only one, and you're not the last one, and you're not the only one going through and up and down at any given time. And you have models and examples of Scripture of people that have come before you that have gone through the ups and downs, and yet God used them, and God blessed them, and God showed favor to them, not because that they were perfect in the up and the down, but because God loved them through the ups and the downs. And that's what you see in the life of Abraham. And then, chapter 21, Isaac is born. And then, chapter 22, um, he is, probably most people think that he's either in his middle teenage years, most likely in his middle teenage years, is what, the, is what they think. And in chapter 22, God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to kill Isaac. And that whole scene there takes place where then Abraham takes Isaac, takes him up on Mount Moriah, binds him, has the knife ready to kill him when God intervenes and stops him. Do you know what's significant about Mount Moriah? You might remember what is significant about Mount Moriah? <coughs> yes, ma'am. It's the same mount where then later in history... Jesus would be crucified. So it's like a picture, if you will. So you have Abraham in Genesis 22 being willing to sacrifice his son there on the top of Mount Moriah. And then fast forward to the New Testament and you have God offering his son Jesus to be sacrificed on Mount Moriah. So it's a beautiful picture. So Obviously, he did not kill Isaac. In fact, it tells us in Hebrews that Abraham was going to kill him and believe that God was going to do something to raise him. God, God, yeah, Abraham just figured that God had, a, God had a special plan, but God did not do that. Ended up um, saying, oh, I, this was a test to make sure that you were serving, make sure you were listening to me, make sure you were going to follow up to me. All of a sudden, the ram's in the thicket, and everybody lives happily ever after. And then you go to chapter 23, chapter 24, and chapter 25, focusing more on Isaac and then Sarah leaves a picture, etc., etc. So, kind of that's an overview of why do we know him. So we think about who who was he, why do we know him, and then let me just chew on your ear for another uh, few moments about what lessons does he teach us. So think about, okay, so kind of know what the, the biographical data about um, Abraham, and then think about his life, about why do we know him, and the things that stick out to us. But then I think there's some lessons that are applicable for you and I. First lesson is this. He teaches us obedience. You go back to chapter 12. It says in verse 1 that the Lord said to Abraham or said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to a land that I will show you. So he doesn't get up and say, I want you to go and give him an address that he punches into his GPS. 
He doesn't say, I want you to go south 150 miles, then you go east 35 miles, then you go back south 10 miles, and it's north into. He doesn't give him driving directions. He doesn't give him a strip map. He doesn't give him anything. He says, what? I want you to go from your country, your kindred, to the land that I will show you. So he says, I want you to get up. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave everything that you have grown comfortable to and everything you've grown accustomed to, and I want you to take off, and you're just going to start heading in that direction until I say, whoa. And what does it say? Verse 4. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Now sometimes, you know, you and I just pass over things, but just imagine. Just imagine God comes to you and I and says in the morning, I want you to pack a bag. And I want you to set off on foot. We're not going to set off on a car because then you'll be stuck to the roads and then you'll be stuck to however far a gas tank will get you. I want you to set off in the morning and get you a bag, backpack, and I want you to take off and I want you to just start walking and walk until I say stop. How many of us are going to get in the morning and pack our bags and just take off walking? <coughs> Zero! a guy today. I'm headed south of 177. He's walking north of 177. And I think to myself, where is he going? <laughs> I mean, he's just sitting there and he, he's, he's, he's not like not like he's dressed like a, like a hitchhiker outfit. Like you think that he does this professionally or as a, as a vocation. I mean, it looks like this guy is just out for a walk except for you're on 177 walking north. And I'm like, where are you going? You ever wonder like that? Wonder where that person's going? How long is it going to take for that person to get there? There's been times that I've left Wellston and I've been headed to Luther for work and I pass somebody walking towards Wellston on 66. And I pass them. Then I come back through and they're still walking. They've made it three or four miles, but they're still walking on their way. And I just think to myself, where are you going? And not in a bad way, but it, it just it, at the same time, it kind of makes me wonder. Well, you can imagine you're Abraham, and it's not that you just got up by yourself. It's you got up, got your wife, got your son-in-law, got your servants, got all your animals, got all your possessions, everything. And they said, where you're going? Well, how far are you going that way? Well, when are you going to stop? Well, why are you going? Because God told me to. That's obedience. Some of us just like to walk. But you knew where you're going. Not really. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you knew where you started. You knew where you wanted to end up at. (laughs) Hopefully, back where you started. But man, see, I did that. That's a that's a picture of obedience, right? The picture of obedience that we get up and we go. When God says go, we go. Us, us. God says go, and we're like, I'm gonna pray about that. God says go, and it's like, nah, he's going to have to say it again. God says go, and you're like, nah, maybe next week. God says go, and you say, ah, let's check the weather. There's a thousand reasons we give for not doing what God tells us to do. So you have the obedience piece that, that Abraham shows us. Then you have the patience piece. So, I told you, chapter 12, verse 4, Abraham was how many years old? 75. So God comes to Abraham at 75 and He tells him, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send you down there. You're going to go down there. And then I'm going to, what does He say? I'm going to bless you. This is verse 2. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in all the families of the earth, you shall be blessed. So He says, I am going to make you numerous and I'm going to give you a big family. Big, big family. 
And you can just imagine Abraham's like, cool, I will do that. In that time, the, the size of your family, the size of your lineage had to do with how prominent you were and how, 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 how powerful you were. Because the more kids you have, the more helpers you have, the more indentured servants you have. All of that stuff comes along, right? Alright, so he thought, great. So you can imagine Abraham, he's like, awesome, cool. Then you get to chapter 13 and look down at verse 14. And this is after Abraham and Lot separate. And God gives him another promise. God said, verse 14, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you, to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that no one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring... um, dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So he tells Abraham, look around as far as you can see, I'm going to give it to you, and you're going to have so many kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and all of that. You're going to have so much that they'll be more numerous than the dust of the earth. And can you imagine Abraham going, yeah, okay, when? I mean, you, you tell me that. When is that going to happen? Well, then you get to chapter 15. In chapter 15, God comes and He says the same thing. Verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And God says, No, Abraham. I told you. I told you. I am going to make you into a great nation. In fact, you get there in chapter 15 and verse 5. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and accounted to him as righteous. So there's the second promise that God comes. The first promise God says, Your descendants are going to be more numerous than the dust on the earth. The second promise he comes in and he says, You're going to have more kids than the stars in the heaven. And can you imagine Moses, or Abraham, I keep trying to say Moses, can you imagine Abraham just sitting there going, count more than one star and I don't have more than one kid. So what? from my perspective, God, you're saying I'm going to have a bunch, but from my perspective, I don't even have one. So then you get down there to chapter 16 and that's where you get Sarah and Hagar. And now he's 86, 11 years has passed. And maybe you can understand why he's sitting there going, God's promised me three times now that I'm going to have all this, and this hasn't come about. So you had the Abraham, Sarah, Hagar issue, problem going on in there. And then you get down to chapter 17 and verse 1, and God makes another promise to him having to do with having children. It says in verse 1, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So he tells him, and then he tells him in verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God, or to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So God continues to make promises and... Abraham continues to wait on God. And then it's chapter 21, and 100 years old, Isaac is born. For 25 years, Abraham waited on the promise of God. 
don't know what that's like. I, I have no clue what it's like to wait that long for something that God has told you. And to be patient and to wait. Now we can't say that Abraham is completely patient because you have Ishmael, okay, sprinkled into the mix right there. But I mean, can you just imagine for 25 years, God keeps saying, I'm going to make you a great nation. And he's like, I'm getting older, I'm getting older, I'm getting older. And he's just waiting on God to fulfill his promise. And yet, God continues to tell him, I will make a great nation out of you. So we see for 25 years, God is testing the patience of Abraham. Not because God was going to change his mind, but because he was teaching Abraham how to trust in him. And sometimes, sometimes, I think in my own personal life, I think that there are things that God said, I'm going to do this, but then God says, I'm going to test you, and I'm going to refine you, and I'm going to try you, and I'm going to strengthen you, because I'm not going to change my mind, but I'm going to teach you how to trust me while you're waiting for me to bring that about. I am going to let you practice your dependency upon me. So Moses teaches us obedience. He teaches us faithfulness. And then he also teaches us, or he teaches us patience. But he also teaches us about God's faithfulness. So turn from there in Genesis and go to Exodus chapter 12. You've seen this not too long ago. Hopefully you remember this not too long ago. Abraham obeyed God. God gave him an opportunity to practice his patience. And what did God keep promising him? I'm going to make you into a great nation. You get over to chapter 12 and you look down there at verse 37. And listen to what is described. Now this is describing about the whole nation of Israel that came out of Egyptian bondage. Now, who is all the nation of Israel? They're all descendants of Isaac, right? So all of these people that you see represented here are all from what what singular man? Abraham, right? So then you went from Abraham to Isaac and then Isaac to Jacob. So all of these people that are coming out here in Exodus chapter 12 are all the descendants of Jacob, right? And Jacob was the son of Isaac and Isaac was the son of Abraham. So when you see them coming out, it says there in chapter 12 and verse 37, and the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. So you have this entire horde or this entire mob coming out of Israel or coming out of the Egyptian bondage 600,000 just men on foot and that's not including the women and the children and they can all go back and say we all go back to Abraham So when God tells Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation, God does what He says. Now you fast forward from Exodus chapter 12, and you fast forward all the way down to 2023, the year 2023. Do you know how many Jews are estimated to be alive currently in the world? 16.2 million today. It is estimated there are 16.2 million Jews on the face of the earth. I don't know how many grains of dust are in your house. But I think 16.2 million is a bunch. And where do they all trace their lineage back to? All of it goes back to Abraham. So when God is telling Abraham all 
all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. This is what I'm going to do. And yeah, you may say, well, it took 25 years just to give him the first one. And then it took a little longer. Yeah, but in the whole scheme of things, in the whole economy of God, God is saying, but you don't understand. I'm going to start with one man. I'm going to give him a promise. And then I'm going to show him that promise. And I'm going to continue to show him that promise every single day. And I want us to be reminded that the same God that was faithful to Abraham is the same God that will still be faithful to us. And the promises that God makes, the word that God gives us, is still good, it is still true, and it is still for you and I. So so Abraham teaches us obedience, he teaches us patience, and he teaches us about God's faithfulness. What other ideas do you have?